Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Kana Salbin. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Hello, this is Polycast, episode 366. I am your host, or primary co-host, Canis Albinus, and I'm joined with only two of our regulars today. We got Makalua. Boy, stupid livestream is messing up my DJ skills. And Mega Bears fan. Yeah, that was a new one. Never uh, never heard the music <laughs> skip before. It's like, we're, it's like we're on a record player or something. It wasn't an intentional effect, but hey, a retro sound? Found some records in the stuff we're going through. They are very old and chipped, but they are funny. Yeah, Maki's over there trying to to like scratch and stuff the uh, uh, digital records. Yeah, how do you make the d- digital playback? Things only eighties kids remember, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was the seventies. No, well, maybe it was the seventies and the eighties. That could it- be. Uh, I think like uh, cassettes came around in the eighties, but they like didn't really become universal until later in the eighties. So a lot of people still had record players in the eighties. Yeah, and I a lot of live music still then and still does will use vinyl copies of things so they can do effects like that. Oh yeah, that was true all the way up until like the two thousands. Yeah, vinyl is better audio quality anyway. At least in my. Yes, but you also have to have to have speakers that support the high quality. If I'm using $10 headphones that I picked up at Best Buy, I don't think it really matters whether it's digital or not. Hey, I got myself some Bose speakers. They ought to work, right? This episode brought to you by Best Buy, where you can get all of the crappy headphones. <laughs> uh, all of your inexpensive electronics. There was a time when inexpensive didn't mean bad, but sometimes now, well... It's, it's kind of like a bell curve where... Where you have expensive and good, expensive and okay, expensive and bad on one end, and you have cheap and good, cheap and bad in the middle, and then cheap and good, uh, uh, cheap and bad corners, and I am babbling. You could just start the recording right over me. Well, uh, we have a new uh, Civilization uh, Six DLC uh, out available now uh, as part of the New Frontiers patch. Uh, it is the Ethiopia uh, patch, which uh, obviously, as the name implies, includes the Ethiopia civilization with the leader Menelik II and uh, a new game mode. Uh, which game mode was it? Secret, Secret Societies. Secret- Vampires are totally not OP. Uh, as well as a new district and a new building. The new district is the Diplomatic Quarter, which is basically a district that generates uh, envoys for city-states, and it has uh, uh, a consulate building and a chancery building, which you know are just more influence as well as other uh, effects. Looks like uh, it's based around spies. And uh, according to the... Uh, 
patch notes discussion on Civ Fanatics, we're also getting alternative. Uh, I, I don't know what to call it, alternative leaders. Al- uh, uh, yeah, personas. Yeah, personas. Alternative personas for two different leaders that were already in the game, Theodore Roosevelt and Catherine de' Medici uh, of America and France, respectively. I mean, we finally got a cowboy. We win. Yes. So <laughs> we got we, Cowboy Teddy. We now have uh, Cowboy Teddy Roosevelt and Eyes Wide Shut <laughs> Catherine de' Medici. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, these are, they're not just reskins, they actually come with new abilities for each leader, uh, although the, like, civilization leaders and unique units and all that stuff, I, I think, are all the same. hmm Yes. Uh, so, let's see, what, uh, what does the... Oh, wait, wait, the agendas are different. Yeah, their agendas are different, right? Ah, yeah, so yes. ev- everything that's part of the leader is different, but, uh... Yeah, all the, the like... Civ itself stays the same, the leader changes. Right, and and these are the old leaders. Also, are still in the game as well. So now, when you're uh, in the little drop-down box and you're selecting from leaders, Roosevelt and Catherine uh, de Medici will be listed twice. Uh, and- old Roosevelt is the Rough Rider, and old Catherine, is the Black Queen. Right, and the patch notes here are listing uh, Theodore Roosevelt's Bull Moose ability, which looks an awful lot like his original national park ability so i'm i know oh hold on okay so they got it listed twice so there's rough rider and bull moose i see now for some reason they listed theodore twice but only listed Catherine once uh so the new one is the rough rider one right yeah the new one is the bull moose the new one is the even though the new one is the bull moose even though the bull moose uses the old graphic Okay, so that's my confusion. So basically, the and, and the new one, the ability looks an awful lot like uh, I think what uh, Theodore Roosevelt had at uh, at launch, Vanilla Civ Six. It had to do with like national parks and uh, mm-hmm. breathtaking tiles. So it looks like they basically because they patched him a, a few times, changed his ability in one of the expansions, and it looks like this new Persona pack basically brings back uh, OG vanilla theodore roosevelt uh into the game for anybody who may have missed him is that so they that's... pulled a paradox and took out something and pay, pay, made you pay to get it back <laughs> well yeah i mean it's kind of sort of a little bit i uh, most people are pa- who are paying are probably paying for the other stuff uh but yeah, the, yeah. The, there was slightly a reason they tweaked that before because somebody's posted over on the civ subreddit where they have a new game with this version the bull moose theodore roosevelt they have made a national park on top of Yosemite, and they have a square that's getting 300 tourism per turn. Well, it's... A- that, that, that might be why they originally nerfed Bull Moose Day. Holy crap. Well, yeah. it's a good thing that uh, national parks aren't available until pretty late in the game then, huh? Uh, yeah. Talk about instant uh, instant cultural win. Jeez. Uh, I mean, they had to have a lot of things come together to set that up to get the 300 because it was Yosemite and a park and a particular pantheon and having the Golden Gate Bridge in the city nearby. But the I mean, Golden stack- Age tourism dedication and yes. ley lines are on there, too. Yeah, <laughs> they had to stack a lot of stuff. But the fact that you could do that is just like, wow. My impression so far has been that uh, all of the New Frontiers uh, content has been like pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we had a spent a whole episode basically talking around in circles about uh what is it uh grand columbia being o- uh, op militarily <laughs> like 
instantly jumping up the leaderboard or not leaderboards, uh, like tier lists to like one of the top tier uh, domination sieves in the whole game. And uh, yeah, Ethiopia, like the abilities aren't super great, but I was playing around a little bit, and that little rock hewn ch- uh, church, you can get a lot of faith from that that little improvement. Uh, I've I was pretty regularly getting five, six, I think sometimes seven faith uh, from uh, that improvement. But we I, we can talk about that later, I guess. Yeah, we were still talking about the personas. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I derailed it slightly. Uh, so yeah, so they, I guess they decided to put OP Theodore back in the game, so we have OP old content, too, to balance out first the OP time, new content. First time we've ever had an OP American Civ. Yeah, I... I in Civilization. Well, well, when you're an American developer, you have to be careful about that, because people will call you on it if you do it. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, so yes, and then I, I assume his agenda is the same as, or very similar to what the original, uh, agenda was as well. I never played, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, like, when Vanilla came out, so I don't remember. There's just so many civs in the game, it's hard to play them all. The original was peaceful, likes peaceful civilizations that have a city on his home continent and don't like, doesn't like civilizations starting wars on the new agenda for the new one is likes high likes civilizations with high appeal tiles, doesn't like civilizations with low appeal tiles, and settles near high appeal tiles and builds more high appeal districts of wonder. Oh, okay. So the agenda might have been one of the reasons that they probably changed his ability to begin with, because the agenda didn't really work super great with the actual ability, because it had... Yeah, the, the, it didn't the, match the flavor of this one. Yeah, so now they've got an ability and an agenda that match up uh, much more closely than they uh, did before. Okay, let's see. So what else we got? We got the new uh, Catherine de' Medici, uh, who is a nicknamed Magnificence, uh, and her new ability gives her, uh, let's see, improved luxury resources adjacent to theater square districts or chateau receive plus two culture, and may initiate court festival project in any city with a theater square district. Uh, and, and, that gives, and that gives culture and tourism for every excess luxury that you have. So if you have more than one of the same luxury, you get tourism and culture for it. Right, as opposed to the uh, regular, uh, uh, gosh, what's it called? The regular theater square project of like arts and festivals? or Yeah, festival of some sort, yeah. Uh, which I think was just... Uh, culture and great person points towards a towards writers artists and musicians yes so both of these are tourism focused uh personas yeah 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 trying to go towards the cultural victory from different uh angles and then you have the rough rider teddy which is a little more uh, i guess a little more towards yeah, big stick, Teddy. Yeah, there you go. He has a big stick. He he doesn't like you starting wars, but he's probably going to start wars because he's got the Rough Riders and he, the plus five combat strength on the home continent. Yeah, oh, and that's also the, also the envoys sent to city states you have a trade route to count as two envoys. Sounds that's uh, gonna, sounds pretty yeah, American. How dare you declare war on us before we declare war on you? <laughs> yeah, you have a bad problem with it. Well, sure, today, but in Roosevelt's time, it was very different. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, isolationist because we weren't physically close enough to get involved in things. 
Because Teddy was the one who came to power right after the Spanish-American War, where people were like, maybe we shouldn't be going around starting wars. I, I seem to recall America being still somewhat imperialistic during that time period, but it might have been like right after Roosevelt's administration. Yeah, it was right before Roosevelt's administration. Roosevelt was the reaction to Ah, okay. Because people were like, oh, uh, I forget his name. I think it was McKinley. Was he the one who, he was the one who got shot in 1900, but was he president before that? I don't remember. Either way, it was the president, president in 1898 declared war on Spain because of yellow journalism and decided that, and uh, took the Philippines and Cuba and Puerto Rico. And um, people were not exactly happy about that. Mark Twain included. And Roosevelt was kind of like, okay, we don't need that. Yeah, what do we need this stuff that isn't right next to us? What are we going to do with the Philippines? Yeah. Well, we owned it till the 40s, so. And let's see. And then we also have uh, the Secret Societies content, uh, which I have yet to be able to play. So have either of uh, you two been able to play? The, the DLC only came out on, like, what, Thursday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. and basically my experience has been watching the dev stream, watching Christy, who was on with us last time, play some, and... Uh, about 15 minutes of my own game earlier this morning. <laughs> but from what I saw in his, but I saw vampires in both the live stream with the devs and Chris's stream, and they can get really powerful. I mean, the thing is the vampires and you have that they have the actual vampire itself unit is double the strength of your most advanced unit. So this is more, uh, you know, fantasy content. This isn't like Freemasons, Illuminati stuff. It's like... They have some in there that is like that. There's the, who is it? The Hermetic Order that is a little more like that. And Owls of Minerva. Those other two. They didn't play much in the live stream or on on Chris's stream. But from seeing other people play with them a little bit too, they're more towards that where it would seem Illuminati-ish. Whereas Void Singers, <clears throat> excuse me, and Sanguine Pacts are, yeah, more fantasy types. Because Void Singers is praying to the old ones, so. Yeah. Oh, all right. So vampires and uh, eldritch <clears throat> stuff, huh? And yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dev showed off in the live stream Ethiopia with all the faith they produce plus the Void Singer thing can get pretty powerful. So can you, like, literally, like, summon Cthulhu and sick him on, like, cities? I do not think so. No, it just... Uh, there is a dark summoning project, but it converts production into faith. So it's basically, and then you have these cultists that can go around as well. Well, that's disappointing. Well, yeah, I know. I want to summon Cthulhu over here in an ocean tile and go wreck things. Come on. We're going to go this far. (laughs) If we summoned Cthulhu, wouldn't that be like, I don't know. I don't know the I should be automatic in game if you do that. Probably. I mean, I feel Nobody like that's, wins. that's like really stupid because isn't the whole point of the old gods that they completely ignore what we want and do what they want? Yeah, but that didn't stop there from being like cults that wanted to summon them. So that that was that was part of another aspect of I think Lovecraft's <laughs> horror was the people doing the really stupid stuff of worshiping these beings. Yeah, you would summon Cthulhu, but he might turn on you as opposed to hoping he go wrecks your uh, competitors. Yes. I mean, if I was Cthulhu, I'd turn on anybody who woke me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was having, having a nice nap, and you had now. to come in here. Cthulhu is not a morning god. Not at all. Why'd you wake <laughs> me up? Die. 
Cthulhu is not a being in the stream of time god. <laughs> so, like, does this... this mean that all the other civs in the game now have, like, uh, uh, what is it, sanity meters, like in every Lovecraft game <laughs> ever? And, and if you show them pictures of Cthulhu enough times, they just go crazy and, like, you know, throw the game or something? Well, no. what you can do is you can uh, use cults to convert cities to free cities. Yes. Yeah, that was the other thing I got to see in the live stream. They did that. They flipped, I think it was Grand Columbia's capital that way. That seemed like it was not worth the amount of work it was for. It's like, oh, you got to use eight, you got to use 10 to 12 charges, 10 per. And if you've got lots of, a lot of pressure, this goes back up before you can do it. Well, maybe yeah, I if think you're we... doing that with a sieve that focuses on flipping cities, like you know uh, the original Catherine de Medici, then like maybe it goes a heck of a lot faster. No, not Catherine. Um, Eleanor. Eleanor. Oh yes, Eleanor. That's right. Yeah, Eleanor with the cultists would be like, oh my god, worst nightmare. I, I can see a use for the cultists if you want to flip border cities pretty a lot easier. That could be a thing. Or when you're coming in with an army, if the cultists fall behind you, they could boost the loyalty of the city so you don't have to raise as many to keep them. I guess they are considerably cheaper faith-wise than units are, because you don't have to be in in a theocracy to buy them with faith. So, And does the cost uh, go up every time you buy one? Yes, but it didn't look like they were very expensive to begin with. It was like on on online speed, they were like, first one was 105 uh, faith. So, Yeah, it seemed like it was raising about the same rate that missionaries do. So, Missionaries can also be uh, subjugated to... Wait, no, never mind. That's, that's not what I was reading. I thought it said you can recruit followers into the cult from enemy cities, but that's the whole switching loyalty thing. Oh, but when the cultists die by any method, they get a relic of the void. And uh, some of those are things that you would not want to ever <laughs> see or look at for many reasons. Yeah, the devs said their artists had a lot of fun both naming things and making the art for it. Yeah, definitely a change of pace for uh, for Axis. Yeah, because there's something a little bit different. And probably that's what this and Sanguine Pact is. It's like, let's play with vampires and Cthulhu for a little bit, and then we go back to normal Civ things. And the Hermetic Order. Yeah, alchemists, in a sense, and ley lines. And... But that's where original science started from. People, alchemy turned into chemistry at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, you know, a little bit tangential thing. I've actually been an advocate of uh, alchemy being a uh, tech in the Civ games just because it, it you know created so many of the instruments and methodologies that actually led to modern science like it, it it's totally BS you know in retrospect but like at the time it was you know the cutting edge it was the thing and you could get sponsored by kings and other you know monarchs and, and even by the church a little bit depending on what you were researching yeah Obviously, it should not lead to other texts like, you know, Fountain of Youth and uh, <laughs> and stuff like that that gives makes everyone immortal. No. But yeah, it, like it, sh it should be a tech and it should lead into things like, you know, chemistry and scientific method and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, like, like, like if it's in the medieval era, like I think we have chemistry is closer to the medieval. What is it in the Renaissance? Say alchemy is the Renaissance tech in modern chemistry, perhaps is a little bit further down the tree. And that's when you get into some other things. So. Oh, that's hilarious. I accidentally mm -hmm. clicked on the little thing on my uh, browser that does the automatic translate, and it says Hermetic, 
Adjective also means airtight, tight, sealed, shut, watertight, waterproof. Technically, yes. That is another word. Yeah. It's hilarious because it's like, oh, we have waterproofed us from getting actual and Because we're alchemy. <laughs> well, you know, alchemy things. Let's see. Also, Minerva on two of its levels adds you more policy slots. Ooh. Which, yeah, yeah, one economic and one wild card. There's also things with spies, uh, sit, like on the third level, you get capacity for two more spies, and your cities with a spy have plus four loyalty and plus one amenity. What are these spies? What, what are your spies in your city doing to get you more amenities? That's sitting here going, hey, wait a minute. They must be having uh, parties with martinis like James Bond. That's probably the closest thing that would happen. Either that or they're... What's the name of that Chinese cell phone company that buys? Uh, Hawaii or something? Are you talking about yeah. Huawei? <laughs> Huawei, that's it. Huawei. They're giving out cell phones to everyone who yeah. comes in and out of the city? Totally no Chinese spyware on that. Oh yeah, definitely not. Oh, 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 it's Epic Game Store. <laughs> oh yes, there you go. That's the plus one amenity. Well, that it's plus one amenity, but it's a spy. Yeah, and, all, and also they have. Let's see, what did they also have? It's on level four. Whenever a spy mission is success, an offensive spy mission is special, you also gain half of the gold, faith, culture, and science that the targeted city earned that turn. And then three percent of your gold, your gold. Is treasury is gold per turn. Yeah, that's just what. <laughs> Well, it's not that big a deal because it caps at one one thousand up gold. to a thousand gold per turn. But <laughs> it's getting all of those. Like if you're just going for one thing, and then you get all the other resources along with it, and especially if you target a capital. I mean, that's 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 some good numbers. It makes it, it makes it very 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 worth using spy things with them. The problem is, you should never have a high treasure. No, you should be spending it all. Yeah. But now you have more spend. To get you in. And then there's special ways to get these um, functions, these societies. Yeah. <clears throat> well, see, the first two, uh, like Void Singers and Sanguine Pact, are easy because Void Singers is by investigating tribal villages and Sanguine Pact is by capturing a barbarian camp. You're going to do that normally. I mean, if you're not playing with Gobar Barbs, you're not going to get Sanguine Pact, but everybody's going to keep tribal villages going unless it's like a comparative game. So uh, Hermetic Orders from Discovering Any Natural Wonder. And the, but the Alza Minerva's ones you have to think about doing because you have to send an envoy to a city-state that you don't have any envoys at. Yeah, the other three are things you're just going to trip over. Although I guess like you'll still probably trip over sending envoys to city states just by accidentally completing the quests, so that won't yeah. happen too. Uh, unless they actually mean like when you assign an envoy, but I, I don't know if the game actually distinguishes between where the envoys come from. Yeah, envoy once, go ahead. I'm just saying, all the game knows is envoy belonging to your civilizations here, and you didn't have one before. Oh, here's the Hermetic War. I mean, sorry, Alza Minerva. Also, once you've joined a secret society, you cannot leave. Yes, and I also did see that if somehow the other AI, once you've met them, will know if you're part of that society and they'll like you more. Because even yes. in the short period I had time I had my game, I had picked up Void Singers, but apparently so had Simon Bolivar. So he's like, 
I see the signs. I know who you are kind of a thing. It's like, what? But it's what that message was. They also oh. get um, more alliance points faster. Yes. And in addition to the secret societies, there's also a series of uh, game updates, mostly UI fixes and bug fixes. I don't know if we necessarily want to go through all these. It's um, not necessary because they didn't actually fix the bugs. The console players still can't play it, actually. Apparently, well, that's a bummer. It's been broken for a couple pu- for a couple patches now. Have we talked about Ethiopia at all yet? No, I was saving that for last. <laughs> okay. And then the uh, big thing, of course, uh, which is uh, which comes from the uh, actual name of the DLC, is the Ethiopia Civilization, which is led by the leader Menelik the Second, uh, who has an ability Council of Ministers, which allows his cities that are built on hills to receive science and culture equal to fifteen percent of your faith generation in that city. Uh, in addition, units receive plus four combat strength on hills. Although I do want to point out that I was playing around with this a little bit last night, and I noticed that my ranged units were apparently not getting that uh, combat strength on hills bonus. Ooh. So it, it, either it's bugged or it's only when you're attacking onto a hill. Uh, I don't know which is the intent. So I uh, think it means range is means strength and not range. Yeah, or they mean plus four melee strength, but I can't think of any other examples in the game where you get only a bonus to melee strength, so. Yeah, because, like, even Teddy's bonus is to combat strength, and it's not specific about ranged or melee, so. Yeah, and Menelik's ability says combat strength, so I'm I'm thinking it might be a bug, but, uh, yeah, that was what I saw. Maybe other people are getting different results. Maybe it's just an issue with my, my game. Uh, but yeah, my uh, my ranged units were not getting the combat bonus when they were uh, making ranged attacks while standing on a hill. Uh, but uh, something to add, I guess, to the next uh, <laughs> patch uh, to fix. Um, and uh, in a month. Yeah, and uh, uh, maybe they'll do a hot fix if that is in fact not the intent. Um, and Metalik's agenda is Ethiopian Highlands, which means that he prefers to build cities on hills, and he likes civs who do not build cities on hills, and he dislikes civs who build hi- their cities near hills or on hills. So he wants all of the hills, and you can't have them. And he will hate you. And he will hate you if you build on the hills, so sorry, Greece. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're going to have a little conflict. Yeah, Greece and... Uh, Ethiopia are unlikely to get along very well. And let's see, the Ethiopian unique ability is the Axumite Legacy, which grants plus five or plus 0.5 faith per resource uh, on international trade routes uh, per resource at the origin city. Uh, Not at the destination city, but at the origin. So like you have like near absolute control over what, uh, what you get from this benefit. In addition, improved resource tiles get plus one faith for each copy of the resource the city owns. Uh, so I'm assuming that just goes directly to the city as opposed to like being on the tile. So even if you're not working the tile, I think you still get that faith in the city, which is uh, neat. So it's a benefit even for low population cities that can't work all their tiles. Well, it says uh, resource tiles receive faith. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I th- I thought that when I had read it yesterday uh, in the actual game, it just said that the you get one faith for each 
copy of the resource the city owns. Maybe I, I misread it. So maybe it is on the tile. I might be mistaken. And the last thing is that they can purchase archaeology museums and archaeologists with faith. Uh, Belongs in a museum. Yes. So again, <laughs> a, uh, another sieve that likes to convert uh, religion, religious play into uh, tourism. Lots of uh, lots of tourism themed stuff in this pack. There are countries that have built their economies out of religious tourism. So yeah, well, and apparently Ethiopia and Civilization Six is one of them. Uh, and their unique improvement, uh, which I mentioned briefly before, is the Rockhewn Church, which is unlocked by I think drama and poetry, and it is an improvement. It is not a uh, holy site building, and it does not replace anything. Uh, you can build it on hills or, I think, volcanic soil, and it gives plus one faith uh, automatically, and I think also an appeal, and an additional plus one faith for every adjacent hill or mountain tile. So basically, it's like a turbocharged holy site, but it's an improvement. Yeah. And then, of Can't course, next to each other either. Right, and you can't build them adjacent to each other. And, of course, uh, eventually, uh, after researching flight, the tourism gets converted into... Or the faith gets converted into tourism, uh, which I think is, like, pretty common for all tourism uh, improvements. Uh, and another little side effect, if you build it on a uh, volcanic uh, soil tile, you can rest assured that it cannot be destroyed by a natural disaster, such as that volcano erupting. Uh, it can, however, be pillaged and would need to be repaired by a builder. Yeah, but that's pretty cheap. It just requires the time for the builder to move over there, and then one turn to suddenly it's fixed. Yeah, doesn't and, even need to charge. And I, I have a pretty standard practice of trying to leave like one or two builders with one charge just sitting around in my cities, usually near floodplains or uh, any volcanoes just in case I ever need to uh, repair some improvements. That way I don't have to invest more. Ideally, it's one, it'll be one of the builders that I built while running the, uh, what was it, uh, serfdom policy, so it's, it had extra charges to begin with. Uh, and then the uh, uh, last thing is the Oromo Cavalry Unique Unit, which is, I think, a light cavalry unit. Uh, that replaces the Courser, and it has additional sight, and it receives no movement penalty from moving onto hills. That is correct. So now you have a light cav unit that can go thundering down those mountain passes, and AI will be like, uh, where'd you come from? Exactly. In Gathering Storm, it replaces the Courser. In the base game, it does not. There is no Courser. Oh, I wasn't even sure if you could play uh, Ethiopia with uh, with the vanilla game. I assumed that because it had stuff that you know related to volcanoes and things like that that you uh, had to play with Gathering <clears throat> Storm. Nope, you can play it in base game or Rise and Fall. All right, interesting. It's just that the things that are specific to um, Gathering Storm don't act in that way. Yes, so obviously if you're not playing Gathering Storm, you will not have volcanic soil on which to potentially place rock-hewn churches. So yeah, does that... Uh, have either of you had a chance to play with Ethiopia yet? I got a little bit. I got up through like medieval era in two games that I played Thursday and Friday night. 
I haven't because I've been dealing with estate stuff, but yeah, I've I've just seen a couple of live stream things, and I started a game earlier today, but I I'm still I haven't even counted city number two yet. So, so all right, well I, I've been finding them to be a, a lot less interesting than uh, Grand Columbia or Maya, just because you know it's a lot of like hills themed stuff, not as exciting. Uh, again, Grand Columbia was like crazy powerful it had a lot of really interesting things and maya also had that you know really interesting gameplay flavor of packing all your cities in as tight as possible both those uh both those civs like really like changed the way that i approached playing the game i'm not getting that feel as much from ethiopia it's a uh, uh you know uh, other than you know it being a religious themed civ so if you don't play religion a lot then you know it's going to feel very different from the civs you usually play uh, but it does seem to be a pretty good religious themed civ, uh, because as I mentioned before, that rock hewn church can generate a lot of faith. Uh, you put those things in like uh, the middle of clusters of hills or adjacent to mountain ranges, and you're easily getting four, five, maybe six, uh, maybe even seven, I think, potentially yield, uh, faith yield from those. And I think it would cap out at six, because it's one, yeah, one faith and then one for each adjacent. <clears throat> yeah, it, it seems like it's a sieve that's going to be a normalish type of a start, but then later on things are going to start building up, and you probably knock out a cultural game pretty oh, I, quick. I was still in the uh, in the classical era, and I was generating something like fifty faith a turn. No, oh, okay. Also, you could generate a really fast religious victory too. Then. Yeah, uh, I, I was popping out like a new missionary like every few turns, uh, and then I also very much enjoyed uh, taking the. Uh, uh, crap, what is it? The mon- I, I Somehow I managed to get Golden Ages for both Classical and Medieval eras, so I was uh, taking the, um, I think it was Monumentality Dedication, yes. which is you can buy civilian units with faith, and like I popped out like four settlers, and it was just spamming builders from the city that had Liang, uh, and yeah, like doubled the size of my empire. So... Uh, yeah, if if you're not spending that faith on missionaries and apostles, like that monumental uh, monumentality uh, dedication bonus is very, very, very appealing for uh, Ethiopia. And I have not gotten far enough into the game to see how that stuff translates into uh, tourism. But it, if it's a lot of faith, I imagine it must be a lot of tourism. I think it's, I think it's a one to one translation, right? Or is it like half? I forget how how that works. I have no idea. I don't think it's ever been fully explained in game. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, the tricky part, uh, though, is that it is a little bit tricky to get like all of your cities on hills, you know, because it's just one of those things where you're at the mercy of the map. Uh, you know, like the Maya had that really restrictive. Uh, ability that wanted you to pack your cities in real tight but then they also made it so that you don't it doesn't really matter where you put your cities because uh, you didn't need the you know fresh water for the housing and stuff like that you got it from farms uh, so as long as there weren't like ginormous mountain ranges or ocean right next to you you know you had pretty much freedom to place your cities as optimally as you cared to place them uh, the only hang-up was whether was how aggressively you wanted to settle your city centers next to uh, luxuries, whereas uh, Ethiopia, like yeah, you've got to you got to find them hills. There's no penalty for not settling on a hill, so like you don't have it's to. Just, 
It's just the most optimal play to try and settle on all hills. I guess you could use like the Highlands map and you wouldn't have too much trouble finding a hill. Yeah, yeah. If you're on a map that has lots of hills, uh, I think also if you set the age of the uh, map to uh, young, I think there's more mountains and hills. So that would benefit uh, Ethiopia as well. And uh, yeah, I haven't had much of an opportunity to, yet to use their fancy uh, cavalry units, so I don't have much to say about that. Hopefully, for the next uh, <clears throat> the next DLC pack, we'll at least get like a whole week <laughs> to play it before we have an <laughs> Instead episode. Of literally forty eight hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. Forty eight hours on no on uh, well, it wasn't short notice, but it was not a, it was not a good time for doing stuff like that. Yeah, the <laughs> announcement was like. A week, I think, before or two weeks, I think, because it was. Uh, I think it was. I think it was ten days because it was like the eleventh. Yeah, it was announced like a couple days before we last did our recording. So yeah, and then when they did the dev live stream, they said, "No, oh, by the way, noon tomorrow." And it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> I almost prefer it better that way because then we don't have to wait in anticipation. But I have issues with anticipation, so. <laughs> Call me a toxic rogue. Yeah, unfortunately, the side effect is it means we don't get to spend whole episodes reading speculation posts on the uh, forums because by the time we record, the stuff's already out. It's out and it's less speculation more. Well, this is how it actually works in real life when you play it. Yeah, exactly. But I I think that covers pretty much everything from the new patch. Uh, Did I miss anything? I think you got it all. We've pretty been thorough this time. We used a lot of time for that, but that's okay. That's a big thing. We can go a little bit longer in this episode. Not too much longer, though. Okay, so, oh, it skipped again. Okay. We uh, had some feedback from episode 364. This is actually not the first time we've had this uh, person give feedback, but the first time was on a version of episode 363, I believe, that did not stay up because it had the wrong title card. So, apologies to this person, but Mr. Steve Spain commented on episode 364 and he says quote look at looking at the forms this patch unsurprisingly divided the community for me i was disappointed that the red death plugged as being outside the main dev focus a la not using up dev time and resources and then bam we get this patch where it seems somewhat misleading but not expected that's not for me and i don't begrudge something for others which bring enjoyment sick nonetheless it's hard to feel like the other long long standing issues didn't get the resources allocated to red death everything seems like the patch was had been sorted out a long time ago via mods while that was well documented people and the people people and the team say red death is free content of course this is just a marketing tool. The only people in the Civ franchise that give out free stuff is modders. Which brings me to the main point of frustration. The separate announcement that there are no plans to give 
modders access to the source code. That's scumbag behavior, given the this iteration of the franchise was plugged as the most mod-friendly, the most subscribed mod, Ian, E-A, uh, Y-N-A-E-M-P on Steam, has been broken in significant parts for a long time now because of undocumented changes and had not having access to the code. Okay. I'm a really bad reader, if you can't tell. Yeah, I guess my two uh, responses. Uh, first uh, is cynical me saying, well, welcome to you know modern video games industry. Uh, and then the second one is, uh, yeah, I, well, actually, for one thing, I had not even, I had totally missed that there was an announcement that they weren't going to release uh, the source code for Civ Six. Uh, I wasn't expecting that it would come out until like after the game was in like a finished state and they weren't releasing DLC or anything like that anymore. Uh, although I don't know if I would go so far as to call it scumbag behavior. I mean, how many other games give you source code access? Very so, few. Yeah. And, and the it, modders usually figure out a way to, view it or at least be able to find the changes easier than they have with Civ. And especially while the game is still alive. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe 10 years later, right, when the devs are no longer supporting the game, like the source code leaks or the the devs just give it out. Uh, But, yeah, when the the source code came out for Civ Five, like, I was like, oh, is that something that companies actually do? Yeah. After, uh, not, not most companies, Civ has always given out the DLL file source code but i think they've always done it after primary development is complete i believe the dll for civ 4 may have come out before beyond the sword but i don't think so and i know that the dll core for civ 5 came out after gathering storm I th- if i remember no, correctly no, 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 brave new world yes yes uh if i remember correctly uh I think they were still doing patches for Civ Five, uh, even after the uh, uh, Source DLL was released to modders. Uh, yes. So the game was still being supported, but it was effectively content complete. They weren't going to be selling anything more for Civ Five. So part of this actually makes me wonder if they actually have a longer roadmap than just this New Frontiers pass for Civ Six. If they are saying no, we're not going to give out the uh, the DLL. Yeah, they may have something planned out to do this pass and maybe another pass in the lead up to possibly doing a Civ 7, you know, to give them more time to change things and do things. And they want to still have a revenue stream coming in while they're developing. Well, it does, it does sort of seem like they're following the the industry trend with why add a new game when we can just add stuff to the old game repeatedly. And Civ, 5, Civ 6 doesn't have... Um, it has feature bloat, kind of, but it doesn't have the the weighed down feeling that Civ Five had toward the where it's getting hard for computers to keep up with all the stuff that has to do. So, well, I would I like to say how. I could, go ahead. I, I was just going to say to that point. Uh, I do feel like since installing the Ethiopia pack, uh, my load times have been doubled getting into games. Uh, I actually was almost at the point of, you know, Control-Alt-Delete uh, force-quitting the game uh, last night because I thought it had frozen on the load screen because I'd been sitting there for, like, I want to say two whole minutes before the, you know, Enter Game button finally popped up. Well, two minutes is not that bad for a whole game world loading. 
But it is fast. It is slower than it has been. So well, and it was slower than it it had been for me previously. Like the last time I'd played the game, you know, it it had loaded uh, within like one minute. So like I said, I, I feel like it's doubled. And I remember when Vanilla came out, like that begin game button had popped up before Sean Bean had even stopped talking. Uh, yeah. But that has not been the case for a long time with Civ Six uh, because of all the new content that has to get loaded. That still is true for me though. Like if I I, bef- I have not used Ethiopia Pack yet. But the last time I started up a Civ game, which was about two weeks ago, it I didn't even get to the part where Sean Bean started talking about the civilization. It was just the opening refrain before the, the thing was ready to go. So I may have a really nice computer. I don't know. It doesn't feel very nice. But it's definitely a cut above the average. Or if you just have a really nice hard drive. Uh, Civ is the only game that I have put on my solid state. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that's what I've done recently too, and that makes wee. I'm pretty difference. sure I'm I'm playing it on a solid state drive as well, but I'm playing on a laptop, so I'm not expecting you know okay. the, yeah, be, the battle performance. It. But it is a it is a good laptop, like it's a gaming laptop. You know, I spent a pretty penny on it, uh, as opposed to upgrading my uh, uh, desktop. Uh, so it it is annoying to have to wait so long, but you know. Whatever. I have the convenience of being able to sit on the couch and watch TV while I'm waiting. So <laughs> that extra minute won't notice me get involved in a TV show. Oh, my game's finished Lenny. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I just listen to the music for a while. Oh yeah. The soundtrack for Civ Six is pretty uh outstanding. The soundtrack for Civ Five and Civ Six were both I, I don't I uh, people have said that they really liked the game soundtracks. I feel like the Civ Six soundtrack is not a game soundtrack as much as a world history soundtrack. Yeah. Because it's almost exclusively good song. Yeah, I like Civ Four's soundtrack so much that I actually I bought uh Christopher Tin's uh album Calling All Dawns, and I very much enjoy it. So I, I highly recommend if you like the music in the Civilization games check out Christopher Tin's uh, albums. You'll probably like that as well. And uh, after, after, totally related to that point, he is releasing a new album next month called To Shiver the Sky. That's right, yes. Uh, and uh, and it also, when Civ Six came out, uh, I, I think the I think it came with the soundtrack, or I, I got the, like, you know, the deluxe edition or whatever, which I think came with the digital soundtrack, but it did not come with that title track that's in the, the main menu, which I, I don't know how to pronounce it, Cigna something that just, I, it translates to the, the dream of flight yeah uh was the the translation uh and i i, I liked it so much i went ahead onto uh christopher tin's like website and i bought bought the song and put it on my phone and you know would listen to it in the car and stuff like that so i like his the the drop that contained the world or the drop that contained the sea that's a really good one yeah, I, I unfortunately I've only listened to the Calling All Dawns album. I had meant to get the the album that came after that, but I, I just it was one of those things where it uh, slipped through the cracks and I never got around to it. Maybe I'll check and see if it's uh, uh, discounted on like Amazon or something. Uh, I bought it directly from his website. I got them signed. I was very happy that day. Yeah, I'll check it out. Like I said, I, I very much enjoyed his. Uh, I don't know if that was Calling All Dawns his first album. Yes, and it won a Grammy. Yes, uh, yes, it did. That's right. And then he had another one in there called, um, I think it's a God of Love that was not in his regular style. It was like a collaboration. I've never listened to that one, but um, I don't know how good that one. Is. 
but I do know that the the drop that contained the sea is really good. Yes, indeed. But we are way off topic now. <laughs> Christopher Tin is never off topic. Well, I suppose that's true. Are you saying we went through the Bermuda Triangle? Speaking of the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> yeah, there's a small discussion over on Sophonetics about has anybody, you know, Bermuda Triangle, has anybody found a workable one? Is it as frustrating as trying to find workable Krakatoa? Uh, yes, it is as frustrating as trying to find a workable Krakatoa, but some people have gotten it. Somebody had linked, uh, was it Borad, further down the thread, linked to a thread that was actually over on Reddit that has the uh, seed in it for uh, Start as the Maori, where you can sail off to the northeast and you can find a spot there where you can settle your initial city. And I think he had two working tiles with it. Let me see this screenshot. Yeah, he worked two out of the tiles. And those are ten signs apiece at the beginning of the game. I wonder if they they put in a check... uh into the map builder to make sure that the uh, Maori do not spawn inside the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, that would be really bad. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, you teleport to the other side of the map. Your units teleport to other parts of the map without being next to each other. Right, so I'm I'm wondering if they made sure to put a check in the game to make sure that doesn't happen to the Maori. Yeah, you can't spawn right on top of it, but you could put a city next to it. What this guy was planning on doing is, yeah, I'm just going to chuck settlers in there and see where they end up. <laughs> I'm not sure how that went because I never came back and posted about that, but still. But it, it's it's more frustrating than, than Krakatoa because Krakatoa was never workable, but it was only like three science. The Bermuda Triangle, three tiles of it themselves are ten science each. And the, uh, what the outlook, is I think the uh, other ones are what five each because all the ones that outlie it are five each. Yeah, the nine tiles that surround it. Yeah, this guy's on turn five and already making thirteen point six science in his capital as the Maori. I feel like the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle should provide negative science. <laughs> no, not not until um, you get to the point where conspiracy theories start to exist. Then it should give faith, faith and negative science. <laughs> Research science because a lot of the things that people do to search out things like the Bermuda Triangle actually do contribute to scientific knowledge, just not in the way they expect it. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm just joking. I've yet to see the Bermuda Triangle show up in game, and in fact, I I wasn't even sure what it did because I think the last time we talked about it on the show was like a few episodes ago when people were just speculating on what it did. Yeah, it doesn't always pop in. We did have it pop in once in a multiplayer game, but it was so late in the game when we found it because it was in the middle of an ocean well away from any coast, not like the this, not like the screenshot and the link on Reddit where it's just barely off the coast. Sorry, when you say pop in, do you mean it just like appears in random places or you've mean no, you found I mean, it late we in the game? No, I mean, we found it late in the game. Found it late in the game because it was so far away from any coastlines and we were all looking for the other coasts and the AIs and we weren't trying to search out the middle of the ocean to fill out the map. Oh man, could you imagine sailing into the Bermuda Triangle and then popping up in the Oh man, that would be bad. Popping up in the where? You cut out their Barents Sea? <laughs> Somebody had that happen. It was down in the in the Reddit thread. Somebody had, had that happen with one of their units and ended up in some small two or three tall lake thing trapped against the ice and they couldn't get it back out. Well, I guess I they better start pumping out those <laughs> I guess they better start pumping out those uh fossil fuels and uh <laughs> melt that ice carbon to, to melt that ice. They're in it for the long game. We finally made it back. 
But you know, it's just like that. That uh, what it used to be, door monster video, where the scout comes back and it's not ancient. Oh yeah, comes back and everybody's using muskets and they still have left with spears and bows or something. I thought it was they came back with a sling and it was in like modern times, something like that. Yeah, I think my brain is messing up the details there. It's been a long time since we've watched. I don't. I think I'm subscribed to them on YouTube, and I haven't seen like new content from them for quite a while. So, I don't know if they're still making new stuff. They make D and D stuff. Ah, ah. Maybe I stopped watching it, and uh, YouTube stopped recommending it to me. Possibly. I hate the new YouTube thing because it's just like here's like 500 videos you don't give a flying crap about. And no matter how many times I tell you I don't want to see anybody from this particular person, you still recommend them. Stop it. Like, every time it recommends anything that has to do with the orange man, I'm just like, I don't care. Get off my screen. <laughs> and then you watch... Positive or negative, I just don't care. And then you watch one video, and then YouTube shows you nothing but similar videos or other videos from that person. Like, even if you didn't what? even watch the whole thing. Like, I watched, like, a minute of it, and then I'm like, ah, I don't like this. But then YouTube thinks it's all I want to see. Or somebody puts a video in Discord and you don't care, but it still counts it because it's on your computer. Oh, does it? I didn't know that. Yes, it does. I didn't know that one before, but that would explain some things. Yeah. (laughs) Because I have another Discord that I'm in where they post really weird stuff. It's ruined my YouTube recommendations if I don't go into the history. But then deleting the history is a trap, too, because then it just shows you pop songs. Anyway, what's next on the... Uh... Alright, so next up is something that we touched on a little bit before when talking about the uh, New Frontiers past content, which is how balanced are the sieves? This is a sieve fanatics topic started by Shimmer Gloom. Sounds like a My Little Pony name. Um, and, a little uh, bit. Yeah, and uh, let's see. Uh, basically... Ooh, I, see, I see the band words in uh, yeah, which is basically asking, uh, I've tried playing all the different civilizations the game has to offer. Well, good for you. I've been playing this game since it released, and I still have, don't even think I've touched half of them. Uh, and it seems to me that they are far more balanced than the Civ uh, Five Civs. Uh, even Civs that seem really strong, like Greece, don't seem as OP as Poland or Babylon were in Civ Five, And even bad Civs, like France or Egypt, don't seem as bad as the worthless Iroquois or Carthage. Uh, from Civ Five, uh, what do you think? Am I missing something about some of the very strong Civs? I think I think the the one poster that says "situation powerful" is correct, which is actually the second post in the thread, because there could be times when any Civ is a pain in the butt, and that was true and, in Civ Five uh, as well. Yeah, but not as much in Civ Five because in Civ Five it was a lot harder to put it all together. But in Civ 6, every Civ has like three times as many abilities as they did in Civ 5. So um, it's very easy to get into a situation where, oh, I I let them run away and now they're getting like five synergy screwed. Whereas in Civ 5, it's just like, oh, well, I just bomber. Well, there's definitely still tier lists for uh, Civ 6, which, you know, include top tier Civs and bottom tier Civs. And I'm not super up to date on what the 
uh, current thinking is, but I know that uh, I'm pretty sure that Korea is still considered uh, very good uh, because they get a very powerful science bonus. And uh, I'm assuming that Grand Columbia is probably at the top of those uh, tier lists now as well. Probably. I know that uh, Georgia routinely ranks as one of the lowest. Yeah, Georgia is not super great. A lot of their stuff is very defensive. So, like, especially, like, Georgia is probably a Civ that is very good for players who are just getting into Civ, right? Because, like I said, they're, they have a much more defensive uh, focus. So if you do feel like the AIs are coming at you too aggressively, uh, playing as Georgia, you know, might help with that. So, again, it's all situational. I feel like it wouldn't, though, because its bonuses come in the medieval and renaissance eras. So if you're getting killed by the AI, you usually get killed early. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that if you're new to the game and having trouble with that sort of thing, you're probably playing on a lower difficulty where the AIs are ah. much less likely to be rushing yeah. you uh, as they do in, like, Immortal and above. Yeah, you're, you're starting at Prince where it's relatively even and they're not as aggressive or even if you have trouble at Prince, you back off a level until you learn the game a little better, and they're even less aggressive. Then when you get into that <clears throat> medieval and renaissance, when Georgia starts to have better uh, the abilities start to shine, you're also at the point where you may have irritated one of them enough to attack you, but then you can now push this attack off and maybe counterattack. Yeah, but even then, like the fact that you have a, a unique Renaissance wall should hopefully clue you into the idea that maybe you should be building those ancient walls, you know, first. So you know that will also help earlier in the game. I should probably learn to build ancient walls whenever I play. I sometimes just don't do it. <laughs> really I, bad. I mean, most games that I play, I I just don't need it. So it it always feels like a waste of. Uh, yeah, if oh, I'm not on a border city or it's not a coastal city, I don't feel like I need to do it. Usually what I'll do is I'll get that, uh, I'll unlock that limes policy and I'll just like plop it in for like four, like I have like a civic that I'm really close to researching, you know, that's like three or four techs or uh, turns away because I yeah. already got the, the inspiration for it. And then I'll just plug in limes. And I'll build ancient walls in all of my cities because that's a hundred percent bonus. And then I'll also chop and use carryover production to you know get a nice head start on whatever's coming after that. Uh, and uh, yeah, then I'll just you know turn off limes uh, and you know go back to something else. And then okay, I, I've got walls now. Yay! And having ancient walls is better than having no walls because you know against the AI, even just having the ancient walls is oftentimes good enough to defend against them, uh, even in the later game. Just having that bombardment helps. Yeah, they uh, have to chew through a wall first before they can start working on your city strength. And by that time, you've bought yourself enough time to move an army up there and start chewing through their units. Right, and you're just getting that free bombardment every turn as well. And if you've got an archer or, you know, archer equivalent in the city, you're getting two bombardments per turn. And if you also have a ranged naval unit, you're getting three bombardments per turn from the city, where they can't possibly hit you. I don't mean to interrupt here, but this is the next topic that we haven't, like... <laughs> like we can pause this discussion for just a moment. Do we have anything else to say about balance? Because um, if not, we can just go right into the city's urban defenses. In terms of Civ 5 as compared to Civ 6 with the diversity and the balance on the Civs, uh, you know, in the multiplayer games, we often go commando, you do random, and 
I feel more comfortable doing it in Civ 6 because no matter who I land is, they've got some strength that I can play to that I can make things work. Whereas in Civ 5, I'm just like, oh, I'm this guy? Oh, you know. I noticed that in a lot of, like, you remember how in Civ 5, you had India, which had that that uh, thing that changed your entire gameplay style so that you always mm. grew your cities tall so you'd get a lot of happiness. And it was a very big departure from how you would play normally. And I feel like every Civ is like that in Civ 6, where you play based on who you are rather than you have a basic thing for everything, just make use of your opponent. Well, I, I would like to say that I think another source of the uh, the parity between Civs and Civ 6 is that the map is so much uh, more of a bigger part of the game than it was in Civ 5, because so much of it now is getting adjacency bonuses and stuff on your districts. So it doesn't matter what Civ you're playing as. If you've got really good districts and really good cities, you're doing pretty well. And every Civ is different with regard to which one is good, so... Well, and yeah. it's also just, like, map-dependent. Like, even if you're playing as a bad, you know, as a Civ that has, like, you know, squat for, like, science bonuses or whatever, if you start next to a mountain ranger in the middle of the rainforests, you're going to get good science. Like, it doesn't matter what Civ you're playing as, because there's, uh, unless you're, well, I guess there is the exception of those few Civs where the uh, campus adjacency bonus is, you know, not the same, like, uh, you know, Korea or uh, uh, Maya. But for the most part, if you're, you know, in those positions on the map where you can build really good districts, you're you're going to be sitting pretty no matter what civ you are. And if your unique districts don't give you those adjacency bonuses, it's probably because they're even easier to get high uh, yield from those districts. Yeah. So either way, like you're doing pretty well. The only time you things really suck is when you just get one of those awful starting positions where... You know, you can't grow your cities, you don't have any resources, or the, you know, the, the terrain is just crap for building, you know, good districts. I'm, I've been stranded in the tundra, and I'm not Russia who benefits from it. Oops. Or Canada. Yeah. Right. Or Norway. So, yeah, that, that I think is my, my two cents on the topic of balance. And, and then the other thing that, uh, which I alluded to before, is I, I do feel like a lot of the newer civs, uh, you know, the Gathering Storm civs and the New Frontier civs are pretty dang strong, like, relative to other civs. And, you know, there's some people who have complained in the past about, uh, you know, pay-to-win, you know, because of the, the DLCs and stuff like that. I don't have that problem because I play pretty much exclusively single-player. So... You know, it doesn't bother me, but I can definitely see the argument from the multiplayer community that the newer content is stronger than the older content. Except, apparently, for Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt's pretty strong now. Yeah. I feel like some of the Civs were just designed badly, but, you know. Well, what are you going to do about that now? Yeah, some of the worst ones in Civ Six were the ones where they didn't have particularly tight theming. Uh, and Georgia is another good example of that, where they're, they're, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've played them, like, their uniques are just kind of all over the place. Like, they've got the walls, and then they have, like, a unique swordsman unit, and I, I forget what the other abilities are. I think it was, like, a religious ability. Something to faith, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's kind of a thing in Civ where a lot of religious Civs don't have bonuses to getting a faith, or getting a profit, so... Yeah, so if you don't found the religion, you're just kind of boned. Yeah. 
And if you're playing on the higher difficulties, it is very difficult to found one of those religions unless you go very far out of your way to rush uh, a holy site. And then also probably to plug in the social policy that gives you profit points per turn and also uh, run that, uh, that city project from your holy site that gives you profit points. Unless you get lucky and like the civs just other civs just pass on taking the great profit because I've actually had that happen quite a few times, and I don't know what causes the AI civs to do that. Like, why did you build the holy site if you're not going to take the profit? Well, because sometimes you just want faith. Yeah, but why wouldn't you also want the religion that just gives you more free stuff? I mean, yeah, you do need a religion to get the third building out of the fifth faith district so right i mean you could get that religion from someone else but like why not have it be your own and then pick what bonuses you're good like i like i said I, just, I don't get why the ai sometimes do that i mean it's good for me because it means i get a religion every once in a while but yeah it might also be that they've already got a can earn the next I thing they have been spread to them or something as well and they're like ah, oh, well close enough <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah maybe maybe they already got a profit, but like the the great person UI still shows how many profit points they've generated, so they just fill the bucket up again and can't do anything with it because you're not allowed to take a second profit. Maybe that is the case. But yeah, we uh started talking about uh city walls. City walls. And that was supposed to be Phil's topic, who is not here, so. Um, Did I? Uh, no, that was supposed to be me playing Phil. Oh, oh. Candace playing the part of Phil. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about uh, urban defenses because this is a topic that I feel very strongly about. And I personally think that they are already too strong. And it's ridiculous that these units that are built specifically to shoot cities get killed by cities into attack. And also, um, there really should be reasons why you need to have units to protect your cities. So that you can't just fend off a farm, an enemy unit with a city alone. Okay. Well, right? And that's what he would say, right? Hey, <laughs> I, 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 I agree so, with him. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not wrong. <laughs> I, again, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Like, I'm not saying that I want the extreme of, like, Civ Four, where if you don't have a unit in your city, a barbarian just spawns right outside your borders and then walks into your city and captures it. You know, I, I do like that cities can defend themselves. But and... when the city can single-handedly bombard down a modern-era unit in one turn, that's kind of ridiculous. Right. And, and you know, again, to the game's credit, I also want to say that I do like, uh, as compared to Civ Five, that Civ Six actually requires you to build the infrastructure to do this. Uh, if we all remember Civ Five, cities just had bombardment the moment they were founded, whether you built walls or not. The walls, I think, yeah. just yeah. increased their hit points and made the bombardment stronger. So I like that you have to invest in the ability to do it. And, you know, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, like, it's really sketchy on whether like walls feel worth building or not. Cause it really depends on how uh, hard the AIs are pushing against you. Um, so like, I like those aspects of it, but I think that the walls and the city bombardment in general are just way too gosh darn strong, especially when you consider, as I said before, that you can camp, you know, a ranged unit and also a ranged naval unit in the city. And, Unlike Civ Four, there are no units that do collateral damage, so you cannot bombard the city and also damage the units inside. 
so those units are essentially invincible, getting you know one or two other free bombardments every turn. And even if there's like units parked behind the city, they're also bombarding you. You'll have them almost dead, and then they'll swap units out from the city. They'll swap right. a fresh unit in and put that. And like all this time I wasted this, I could have been bombarding the walls. Oh, and and real quick because we forgot to mention it, uh, this topic does also come from the Symphonatic uh, forums. Uh, it's the title is "Are Urban Defenses Too Strong?" and it was posted by uh, Trev One Nine Seven Two. So, good year. Not real. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't around then. Well, that was the year that Nixon got in, got uh, his comeuppance. And it was also the year that preceded the great fuel price spike. A lot of so, U.S. history lessons in this episode. A little bit, yeah. But uh, yeah, Trev1972 is asking how people feel about the automatic defenses. Uh, I don't think our issue is necessarily that the city's got the automatic bombardment. It's just that the city bombardment in general is too strong. This is a point we come to in a lot of the multiplayer games where if we start getting into the early modern era and stuff and the city strength shoots up so fast that we have... On, on par units, and we can't make dents into the walls. Even using core and art, you have to get up to using core and army. And like they're talking a little bit in there about artillery bombardment and using an observation balloon to see over it. That also enhances their strength, but it takes so much just to take down one city. Well, the um, cities you know, are unless you're grim and research nukes, but you know. And the cities are packed wow. in so tight that you're almost always getting multiple bombardments, especially if you yeah. are trying to surround the city and put it under siege. Like, the other city next to you is probably able to hit your units if you do that. And then if you manage to take the city, it's gone by loyalty very quickly, too. Yeah, you're yeah. often forced to just raise the city, and that's like... that. That's a loyalty problem, not a walls problem, but still. And, and like, from a larger game design standpoint... Like, one of the major focuses of Civ Six's design was to reduce the unit spam that was a big problem in Civ Five. Like, they, they went to great lengths to try to reduce the number of units that are in the game at any time, uh, military units in particular, and that includes by... Uh, by having the the core and the army functions that allow you to combine you know multiple units into one more powerful unit uh and you know also the separation of different types of units onto more different layers so the the game is built to have fewer units, but then when you turn around and you make city bombardment so powerful that a single city with walls is able to take down multiple units before those walls come down like that really is you know counterproductive to the design ethos of the game or i I mean am am i wrong not really actually when i say not really i mean no you're not wrong at all but i I, if i remember correctly i think there were a lot of people when vanilla civ 6 came out that were complaining that you know it was too uh easy to capture cities it seems like they've overcorrected yeah we needed them to be a little bit tougher, but we didn't need them to be to where you get to a part in the game where you're like, I'm not even going to bother because that's going to just slow down trying to get to my end game goal. And Well, if I, if I remember correctly, walls when Civ, in vanilla Civ 6 were complete garbage. Like, if I remember correctly, like even archers, like three bombardments from archers would take down ancient walls. And so they... 
they changed it so that that wasn't the case. And then they also added like the other buffs to walls where they generate like faith or tourism or whatever uh, after you get to certain points on the tech tree so that you don't feel like those walls were built completely in vain if you never actually defended with them. Uh, but then they also just made the wall, the bombardment very powerful. Like I'm okay with the walls giving the city a lot of extra hit points, right? So that you actually do need lots of bombardment capability and siege capability to take the city. It's again. It's the bombardment against the attackers is the part that yeah. I don't like. It feels it's, like you need to pick one or the other, right? And and Fraxis gave the walls all of it, and I feel like that was just too much. Yeah, I kind of see their side, but it's still hard. It's a hard thing to balance. It is, so, you know. In, in this case, they're getting a lot of playtest data to see that the people tend to think that this was too much, and maybe in a future patch they can tweak it down just a little bit, you know. Like, maybe make it so that even with a higher modern era strength city, you still need something in the city to be bombarding, like a unit in the city that's also bombarding, along with the walls bombarding, to take down a unit in, inside of one turn. Or maybe just make it so that city strength is not related to unit strength on navy units. Especially since they actually have multiple tiers of walls that you have to build yes. to improve their strength. Like, I, I feel like the tying the city's combat strength to the best unit you've... Is it the best unit you've built or the best unit you've unlocked? Best unit you've built. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like that is also a bit excessive. Or maybe if they, if they t- just tied it to... Well, I don't know. Would it help if they just tied it to ranged units? Um, it probably should be tied to ranged units. Considering it's bombardment. Yeah. But if you abstract it, you could also say that it's a sortie. So, who knows? Or maybe, I mean, maybe what they could do is maybe have like a city project that you build in, that you do in the city when the city is under siege that, you know, improves the combat strength of the walls during that time period. So you have to choose whether you want to defend with your walls or you have to, or you want to be building units to defend or to counterattack with. Like, maybe something like that would would work as an alternative. Make it something that doesn't rely on production, though, because you can't really produce when units are on your tiles. Maybe if it was like, here, pay this amount of gold to increase your defenses. To upgrade your ballistas to machine guns. (laughs) Well, we're getting machine guns in 300 AD. Well, I couldn't think of what would come directly after ballistas for a defense. Sorry. Trebuchets, probably. Oh, there you go. Ah, oh, trebuchets. Something else that can come back. I miss trebuchets. I miss, I miss them, them too. too. I've actually built a trebuchet. Not a, not a real size model. And we flung golf balls halfway across the yard. That was fun. Ah, yes. Good old office warfare. The goal was to shoot one from one end of a football field to the other with one that was no taller than four feet. We did it. I don't remember how we did it, but we did it. But yeah, and and then another exacerbating issue is that the uh, AI is very incompetent at sieges. Uh, so that doesn't help the problem because uh, it's, the only it's, thing they're competent at building apparently is catapults. They will flood you with catapults, but afterwards they're like, "What's a siege unit?" Right, and then once all those catapults die, they're like, or, or well, one of the other things is once all their melee units die, their ranged units just sit there until you kill them all. They don't retreat them or anything. They fixed that bug. Oh, did they fix that? Oh, okay, good. Yes. Hooray! Bug is fixed. 
Um, but yeah, the, for the for the human players, there are ways to deal with the problem. Many people in this in this thread, and we talked about you. You build you know battleships and artillery and balloons and you know stuff like that. All uh, help. They let you attack from outside the bombardment range of the city. Uh, but uh, the AI is not good at using those things. So again, from a single player balance perspective, uh, it's one of those things that makes the game uh, easier than it otherwise would be. And I've I've long been on the soapbox of I feel like uh, Civ Five and Civ Six in particular, a lot of the challenge of the higher difficulties is front loaded to the beginning of the game. And once you get over that initial hump of like, you've got your cities out and you've like conquered that one AI that's, uh, you know, being belligerent to you at the beginning of the game. Uh, like it's kind of smooth sailing from there. Like it's almost as if the difficulty level goes down two or three notches, uh, because you're not dealing with all of those front loaded, uh, bonuses that the, uh, AIs get and you've conquered their cities. So now their bonuses are kind of your bonuses. Uh, and then from then on, it's, you know, the game is not as challenging. And part of that comes from the fact that the AIs are just not that great of a military threat, unless it's like one of those AIs that has like really good military bonuses, like, uh, you know, Simon Bolivar or Tamiris or someone like that, who's just swarming you with units. I think we've succeeded, successfully discussed the topics. Joe us? Yay. Joe <laughs> us. Well, now that we can go close some more windows of windows, this has been episode 366 of the Polycast. Uh, I'm Makalua, and with me, two regular usual co-hosts, uh, Candace Albinus. Am I the only one who shaves and gets dressed for this? Oh, uh, well, yeah, because I don't have to shave, so... Oh, well, you're excluded from that part. <laughs> and Mega Bears fan. Hey, I'm wearing a three-piece suit and tie. What are you talking about? Uh, I demand proof. Uh Here you go. Picture of me at prom. (laughs) Totally me today, I swear. Not Google for man in three piece suit just randomly posted because how would we know? I don't know, I've gained like three pounds in the last year. I don't think I fit into any of my three piece suits anymore. (laughs) You Uh, saw me on the Praxicon live stream, so Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Clips, Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at polycast.net.